Welcome to Meta Talks. This podcast is brought to you by Meta. We support startups, industry and government with sustainable technology-driven innovation. Here you will hear from amazing individuals on topics around startups, innovation, sustainability and dive deeper into industries like aerospace or energy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Meta Talks. I'm Gabby, co-founder and partner at Meta, and I will be your host today. So today's episode is going to be all about behavioral science. We'll dig deeper into its basics, its uses in the wild, and also its role when it comes to sustainability. To talk us through all of this, we have a behavioral scientist with us today. The wonderful Divya Sukuma is passionate about understanding people's behavior and how we can nudge them to achieve better life outcomes. She has a PhD in psychology and law from the University of Warwick. And since she has joined the software startup Signal as its first employee. At Signal, Divya leads behavioral research and testing for the new product, an app and communication service that nudges airline and shipping captains to be more fuel efficient. Welcome, Divya. Hi, Gabby. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. So psychology and law at Warwick, what a cool subject. It's the first of its kind, isn't it? Yeah. So when I joined the university, there wasn't really a formal offering or a course that combined the two disciplines. So really, I kind of fell into it and I got to work with a supervisor from the Department of Psychology, as well as one from the School of Law. Um, and we investigated an issue that both the fields were exploring and yet there was little to no dialogue between them. Uh, so yeah, I took an interdisciplinary approach. Mm, that's really cool. And you've told me before this that your childhood dream has always been to become a detective, right? <laughs> so I assume, I assume that's what led you to follow this path? <laughs> yeah, I think I probably read one too many detective novels growing up, um, but I did indulge in this childhood dream. Uh, so I spent my doctoral research years investigating how the police interview suspects about crimes. And in particular, I evaluated a specific technique in terms of how fair and effective it was in practice. So that's quite different from what I do now at Signal. But I think That's kind of the beauty of psychological research or behavioral science. It's so broad. Yeah, oh, amazing. Oh, I would have so many questions, but I'll try to stay as <laughs> focused as I can. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's a great and, and like you say, broad field. What is it that excites you personally about behavioral science? I think it's that there's so many use cases for behavioral science, just Everything from nudging doctors to dispense fewer antibiotics for patients or nudging drivers to be more honest when they're reporting their car mileage uh, for insurance or helping employees to save more for their pensions. Uh, one I'm a particular fan of is the police being able to hire from more diverse backgrounds. Recently, I've seen that banking apps can help people to avoid gambling when that's a particular issue for them. And then, of course, like in Signal, we can nudge airline and shipping captains to cut fuel waste and carbon emissions. So there's just this really wide range of possibilities and applications. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, so, so many possibilities. And as we see behavioral science become 
well, more popular, I guess. Do you notice a lot of these nudges and behavioral interventions out in the wild? Yes. Definitely. So I'm a really avid user of Duolingo, the language learning app. I don't know if you use it. Yeah, I have. You do? Okay, great. So I use it for French. And then I'm sure you've noticed that they have a super easy sign up process. And then you start off by committing to a goal so that you're much more likely to follow through and stay committed. They also have really gentle but timed reminders, as well as a ton of gamification elements, things like streaks, small league tables where you're compared to people who are on your language learning level, milestones and badges. I know from their published research that they do also test all of this to see what's most effective. Uh, in helping people learn a language. Beyond Duolingo, I also notice these little behavioral design details in the letters in the post or SMS texts that we get from the NHS, as well as some meditation apps I've tried. And even in some of the recent colorful posters you might have seen for COVID around London. Maybe I should ask you, I know that you did a behavioral science course. Have you seen any nudges out in the world or any details like this? Oh, yeah. I mean, th that's the interesting thing. I think a lot of the things we sort of take for almost granted and we don't quite realize that that's what's happening. Although when you were just saying that the behavioral design details in letters and, and, and messages from the NHS, what did you mean with that? <laughs> what have I missed? <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if I should just reveal all of it here. But, you know, it can even... <laughs> maybe give away all the secrets. Um, no, but it can even be really small details like a letter that you get about the new app that they had last year, so perhaps not so new, and the kind of signatures they have, there's kind of this appeal to authority and expertise to increase trust and buy-in. Mm. And I've seen that, you know, when you get a text, you know, it's it'll have very few characters in it, but almost every word has been thought out carefully to sort of create a sense of urgency and importance. Hmm. Ah, that's a really, really good point. It is a lot or can be a lot about that sort of design element and making graphics more colorful and more attention grabbing. Um, and you've also mentioned gamification with Duolingo. Is there almost a temptation to just jump into all of that and say, great, sorted, this should change behavior now? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's definitely tempting but it's actually best practice to step back and diagnose what the problem is first. So why aren't people engaging in the intended behavior? And to address that, you have to do some discovery work, which means talking to people on the ground, the key stakeholders, whether it's through interviews or surveys, as well as actually looking at the existing research literature on this particular context. So whether it's from academia or other organizations that are exploring similar problems, to kind of figure out what are the biggest behavioral barriers? What's preventing people from doing this desirable action? And there are a few frameworks to explore this. Uh, one of the more popular ones, one that I'm fond of, is called COMBI, which is an acronym that maps out three interrelated factors or things that need to be present for a behavior to occur. So the C is for capability, which is both an individual's physical and mental ability to engage in an action. The O is opportunity, and that refers to both the physical environment around us as well as the social environment. And finally, the M is motivation, so that internal drive, desire to engage in something. And it's only once you've identified the most important behavioral barriers within these categories 
can you even start designing interventions that specifically address those barriers? So for instance, you can make an app as colorful and as exciting as you want, but it won't matter if you're targeting a rural population that has limited internet access. And of course, that would actually be the underlying reason for low engagement. And so by doing an initial behavioral diagnosis, you could realize actually you need a non-digital approach to reach this more remote population. So just last month, I saw this really inspiring case study by Ogilvy, and they reminded Amazonian women to get their annual cervical cancer checks by sending them these special flowers that only bloomed once a year. And I think they call the campaign the flower of life. I thought that was really creative. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that sounds like a great, great, great way of doing it. And a nice touch with the flowers. <laughs> Obviously, also in this case study, we're talking about Amazonian women. And for, I guess, you as a behavioral scientist or other people who want to use nudges to influence people's behavior, you know, the fact that we live in a global world is probably an important factor. I mean, how important or how much of a role does culture play in all of this? Yeah, so I think this is something we're still exploring and it's becoming more and more relevant in conversations about behavioral science because a lot of research was initially done in Western countries uh, where the populations typically are wealthier and perhaps more educated. But generally, behavioral interventions are highly context dependent. So it's really important to understand the context in which people are making decisions. So for instance, there's this classic case study in the UK where people were nudged to pay their taxes by being informed that the majority of their neighbors had paid their taxes. So it is sort of this classic telling people what others are doing so that they follow suit. But that might not be so effective in countries where paying taxes isn't the social norm. And so I believe the World Bank is currently testing different approaches like more nationalistic messages in these other countries. And of course, it's Signal. We're starting to work with airlines, shipping companies and road transport firms from around the world. So we do really have a global market. And we're starting to discover, for instance, that different channels of communication will work better for different countries. Just anecdotally, we've been informed that postal letters can sometimes take several weeks, if not longer, to reach recipients in the Caribbean. And so actually emails might be more appropriate. Another variable we've been considering is the frequency of the messages we send. So the sort of feedback, the nudges that we send to our users, that really seems to depend on the type of industry and the operational process that we're targeting. So for instance, when we're looking at long-haul airline captains who might do up to 10 flights a month, it makes sense to send them a report just once a month. But when we start to look at drivers who are making multiple trips daily, that might be too infrequent. Beyond some of these more practical details, there's even small details like the type of compliments and the praise that we use. Um, we found that some of the, the fun phrases that our team had come up with, some countries found them perfectly acceptable, while other countries, they found them really jarring and unprofessional. Mm, wow. <laughs> yes, we didn't want to offend anyone. <laughs> but the key is to really just keep testing. So uh, user testing, as well as A-B testing or RCTs when that's appropriate. Sorry, randomized control trials. Mm. And to see what works. 
Awesome. That's so interesting. And well, let's stick with Signal for a second. Mm -hmm. Obviously, with those kind of reports or messages you're sending to airline captains or, or pilots, you are hoping to influence, you know, their behavior. And I think, well, eventually then hopefully influence, you know, more efficient fuel usage and things like that. So let's say you start sending monthly emails to an airline captain in the Caribbean. How long is that likely to be effective? <laughs> That's a great question. It's still a bit of an unknown. So we know from our team's first trial that sending monthly letters to captains at Virgin Atlantic Airways was effective for an eight-month period. Now, beyond that, there is this question of whether captains could get bored or uninterested and stop paying attention to our communications. So I think there's definitely a possibility, and it'll be interesting for us as a team to learn when that engagement starts to taper off a little. But that's part of the reason why we keep our communications as infrequent as possible. So we don't want it to become too regular, too spammy. And then we also ensure that all of our communications have some valuable information in them. They have some novel content. So no two reports from Signal will ever look the same. They won't have the same language in them. And really importantly, captains and other users, they will be still keen to see how their performance is progressing over time. And so that should keep it interesting. Beyond that, we do have a whole host of new ideas that we want to test over the first few years, but I'm not allowed to disclose them just yet. <laughs> so making something sticky over the long term, I think this is a challenge many digital apps face. And it's particularly tricky for Signal because the kinds of behaviors that Signal focuses on, they're not really habits, nor should they become an unconscious routine. They're these really carefully thought out decisions and operating processes. So for instance, once an airplane has landed and it's taxiing on the runway, if there's enough time for the engines to cool down, then perhaps one engine can be shut down. Hmm. There's a lot to think about, I think, in that context. And we also have to consider safety, right? So let's talk about the ethics of applying behavioral science for a moment. For instance, you know, nudging people without them knowing. How ethical is that? Well, with nudging specifically, you're not restricting or forbidding any options. You're often just making one particular action easier or more attractive. So for instance, Google had these M&M bins. As you can imagine, it was a very popular snack. <laughs> and employees could serve themselves with these four ounce cups. So most people tended to fill up the cup. And then the Google team partnered with researchers from University of Yale, and they replaced those loose M&Ms with little individual packs. People started taking fewer M&Ms because they just grabbed the packs. So in that situation, no one is stopping them from taking as much as they want, but it's just easier to grab those packs. Just like before, it was just, it just kind of felt like you should probably fill up those cups that were there. And in this theme of helping people eat less, just having smaller plates or making healthier food more visible, accessible, that can make a big difference. But again, people still have the option of refilling their smaller plates if they want to, or they can even go digging into the cupboards where all the chocolate chip cookies are hidden. Mm -hmm. Beyond giving people choice, there's definitely a debate around informing people that they're being nudged. So does being transparent reduce the effectiveness of the nudge? 
It's being researched, and I think it really depends on the context. I'm sorry, psychologists say this a lot. <laughs> At Signal, we're very transparent and upfront that the entire experience has been designed with input from behavioral scientists. We even constantly highlight how Signal is going to work and that our users, who are actually really highly trained, they're really experienced operators, they have complete discretion over their decisions, as they always have done. So we're not telling them what to do, we're simply bringing certain variables to the forefront of their mind. There's also this other benefit of reminding people that they have free will. And that's if you simply tell people what to do, even if it's in their best interests, it can often backfire because people react and they feel like you're restricting their free will and choice. And so then they end up doing the opposite. It's kind of like when you're a teenager and you're a bit rebellious. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Although, I mean, I've seen this a lot in adults, adults, so it's not just restricted <laughs> to teenagers. But yeah, I guess it's, it, 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 yeah, it depends on, on people's personalities as well, isn't it? I think I, I know some people that, you know, just won't do something because they've been told to do it, no matter how good that might be for them. It's just not, you know, they just can't, can't do, do it differently. It's interesting. Yeah, that's why you need a very soft, gentle suggestion instead. Hmm. Absolutely. And because it's such a powerful tool, I think behavioral science can also be key to helping us solve some of the bigger and perhaps biggest problems we have in this world. So for example, when we think about sustainability, do you think there are tools that could be useful here? And, you know, not just on an individual level, but also on a company level? Yes, definitely. There are all sorts of behavioral interventions focused on going green. From tiny little changes like making eco-friendly settings the default on appliances, you know, something like double-sided printing on printers, people tend to just go with the flow, they tend to go with the default setting, mm. or having digital displays showing energy usage, so smart meters. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there are also entire software services like Opower, who nudge consumers to be more efficient with the energy usage in their own homes. So Opower tend to send letters and emails comparing people's energy usage at home to that of their neighbors. And there's a lot of classic academic research showing that sending out messages with these sorts of social comparisons have worked in encouraging people to conserve water at home or even to reuse towels in their hotel rooms. At Signal, we do also rely on carefully crafted communications because we're nudging operators to save both fuel as well as carbon emissions. But importantly, we don't compare employees to each other. So social comparisons or league tables can actually backfire in the workplace because when you put people in a league table, the few at the top feel like they're so far above the norm and they become lax and they don't put in as much effort, whereas everyone below can end up quite demotivated, they become disengaged. And so we're quite careful not to use that approach. Instead, we focus very much on the individual. So Signal's really personalized and we bring each user's carbon savings to life and translate it to real world terms because something like, you know, you saved X metric tons of carbon dioxide, that feels really abstract. It feels really distant. And so we have these dynamically updating carbon equivalencies saying, you know, that's equivalent to taking off X cars off the road. Well done. Mm, really, really good point. I mean, there's so much, I think, that 
we could do in the space too. And sure, we have a more sustainable future, I guess. But what I found really, really interesting um, a couple of weeks ago, I listened in, I think it was, must have been probably Nudstock, the behavioral science um, conference. And there was something around, um, you know, energy usage. And there was this research that basically asked a bunch of people what they thought what could they do as individuals to help save energy? Uh, what would be the most efficient things to do? And most people thought, oh, actually, well, turn off lights and things like that. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then you, you actually look at the numbers and you're like, well, that's not bad. But also there's a, things that, you know, would be a lot more useful than that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if, you know, the fact that sometimes we're lacking the information or knowledge to know what impact we're having is the problem or that it's just in general hard for us to realize how severe and how bad the situation is that we're in especially when it gets to climate change why do you think that is why why is it so hard for us to see that you know severity of of, of a really really difficult situation the world is in at the moment mm-hmm. yeah i think it's really hard to map the smaller decisions that we make on a daily basis to these bigger long-term outcomes. And in general, as humans, we tend to focus very much on the present. We have a bias towards that. We tend to be somewhat short-sighted and we tend to undervalue future rewards. And as behavioral scientists, we can help bring those long-term benefits or risks forward. So I don't know, have you read the book Nudge? Oh, a while ago, but yes, it's really, really good. Yes, excellent. Yeah, it's a classic. So there's a suggestion that Richard Thalen and Cass Sunstein make in this book, and it's about how individuals can struggle to understand how the money that they're saving today or whether they're investing it, along with all of the different variables like interest rates, can actually translate into life outcomes much later in life. So for instance, once they retire. So one proposal they put forward was to show pictures of what people's funds could get them. So for instance, if they're doing well, a large home like a mansion with a fabulous swimming pool, or if you're not on track uh, with your savings and investments, then a rundown shack. (laughs) And I think that's much more concrete. It's much easier to grasp and it's memorable. So there's another case study uh, by Google Play, and they partnered with a firm called The Behavioral Architects, who worked on this exercise app called Freeletics, where they highlighted really early on exactly how much body fat users could lose by a very specific date if they stuck with the app. So they kind of brought that vision, that end goal forward. And at Signal, we do something similar too. So for our users, right when they're starting, right when they're onboarding, we show them how these seemingly small but efficient decisions that they make can actually add up to a really significant environmental saving within just a few months. And then more generally, there is a gap between what we intend to do and then what we actually do. And that's called the intention action gap. So we know we should exercise more. We know we should eat healthy. And we know we should make eco-friendly decisions to protect our environment. But in the moment, we might fall prey to various influences, including our own biases, and then just fail to follow through. So this can even be the case in, in sort of life or death situations. For instance, there's a group called Innovations for Poverty Action, and they found that many households in this rural part of Kenya were either not sure how to or forgetting to treat their water with chlorine. 
So to help them follow through on these intentions and ultimately protect people's health and livelihoods, the researchers made a chlorine dispenser really accessible by putting it right at the local water source so that it fit into people's existing routine of collecting water. And they designed the dispenser to be a bright blue so that it couldn't be missed or forgotten. And that led to significant rise in households sanitizing their water even for the two years that followed. And because it was so successful, they actually replicated this, uh, scaled it to other countries like Uganda and Malawi. I really love how impactful that case study is. Oh yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it just shows that a lot of thought has to go into an initiative like this to make it really effective. So, you know, coming back to the beginning, it's it's not just about some small design changes. There is a lot to consider, like you said, the context, the culture, and, and a lot more to make those really effective mm-hmm. while remaining ethical. Yes, and testing what works. And testing what works. Really, really good point. <laughs> And I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan and I'm really interested in, in the topic, but do you have any recommendations for other people that are behavioral science um, enthusiasts or want to be? Yes, definitely. So I'm a big fan of the Habit Weekly and Behavioral Scientist newsletters. These pop into your inbox every week and they do a great job of summarizing a lot of the research and case studies that have been published both from academia as well as other behavioral organizations, they also produce their own content. So it kind of keeps you in the loop with what's going on in this world. And then there's always new books, uh, exciting new books that are being published. One I'm particularly keen to get my hands on at the moment is Katie Milkman's new book, which is called How to Change the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. Sounds very good. I have to put that on my list. (laughs) (laughs) So one other question, Divya. So we've obviously met during the ATI Boeing Accelerator and you as part of Signal and me kind of with the team running the programs and working with corporates. And then one thing that really kind of, well, you know, jumped out to me in the last couple of weeks um, when I was recording uh, another episode of this podcast with one of our other founders and one of our corporate champions is that behavioral science might also, you know, play a big role when it gets to corporate innovation and particularly internally that dynamic of, you know, the champion needing to internally sell the startup idea, you know, make sure that that they get budget for it, that other people support it and push it through that endless and very difficult process (laughs) of startup and corporate relationships. And I was wondering, you as a behavioral scientist, do you have any pointers or any thoughts or ideas around how corporates could improve that, make it smoother or make it more engaging for for their staff potentially to get involved in in more innovation projects? Any any ideas or thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. You know, as you were saying that, of course, I was generating all these ideas about, you know, how could we make engaging with startups easier and attractive for employees at corporates? How could we make it clear that others in the organization are doing it, that it can be a social norm? that it can be rewarding, you know, what kind of incentives can we create for people to take such risks and invest their time and effort uh, championing these smaller companies that are brand new. But then I would be falling into the very trap that I highlighted earlier in this session. So it's actually best practice to take a step back and 
speak with these employees at the corporates to find out, you know, what are their pain points? What are the biggest barriers that are in the way and preventing them from taking on these challenges? And, you know, we might find something quite surprising there and decide a very different type of behavioral intervention is more appropriate. A lot of work to be done. (laughs) Indeed. That's amazing. Brilliant. And finally, Divya, I would like to see if you potentially have a question you'd like to pose to our audience. Yeah, sure. So I'm guessing our audience come from really different backgrounds and industries. So it'd be great to know what they think about behavioral science. So have they heard about it? Are they familiar with it? Um, And also, what are their biggest concerns around it? Um, I ask this because it's still quite a relatively new field and often people either see it as snake oil or they become quite concerned that it's kind of unethical big brother style work Mm. so I'd be keen to know what people think oh yeah great question me too so if you are listening and and if you're listening and you have a really strong opinion on this uh, make sure to get in touch with us or comment on our tweets or um, LinkedIn posts or wherever you might have found us <laughs> we're always happy to have others jump in on the discussions but other than that Divya thank you so much for taking the time and joining me today it was a lot of fun awesome thank you for having me Gabby For listening, everyone. For information about Meta and the work we do, head to our website, meta.partners. There you'll be able to find links to our blog, the company LinkedIn page, and more information about the team. If you have any questions about today's episode or suggestions for future shows, our Twitter handle is metatalks, all in one word. And you'll also be able to find the team and all sorts of exciting things we're up to on there. We'll be back with a new episode of the podcast next week. Until then, stay well and stay in touch.